Let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Uh, We'll continue with the hymn of the month. Speak, O Lord, your servant listens. Speak, O Lord, your servant listens. Let your word to me come near. Newborn life and spirit give me. Let each promise still my fear. Death's red power, its inward strife, wars against your word of life. Fill me, Lord, with love's strong fervor, that I cling to you forever. Oh, what blessing to be near you, and to listen to your voice. Let me ever love and hear you. Let your word be now my choice. Many hardened sinners, Lord, flee in terror at your word. But to all who feel sin's burden, you give words of peace and pardon. Lord, your words are waters living when my thirsting spirit pleads. Lord, your words are bread life-giving On your words my spirit feeds. Lord, your words will be my light. Through death's cold and dreary night, yes, they are my sword prevailing and my cup of joy unfailing. As I pray, dear Jesus, hear me. Let your words in me take root. May your spirit be near me, that I bear abundant fruit. May I daily sing your praise. Heart glad anthems raise till my heart's praise is given in the endless joy from heaven. All right, we'll continue with the catechism memory work. What is the fifth commandment? You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God 
so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. In the Bible memory work, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10 Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's morning prayer. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings in life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, uh, kids can go off to Sunday school. Um, let's talk a little bit about this line in the hymn. In the third stanza, uh, the fourth line, uh, starting at the third line, actually. Um, Lord, your words will be my light through death's cold and dreary night. Yes, they are my sword prevailing in my cup of joy and filling. Uh, through death's cold and dreary night, this is something that's uh, pretty common in Lutheran hymnody is to talk about our own death and uh, the coming of our own death. So a, a really good example of this would be um, 708. Um, I can't ever remember the name of the hymn. Uh, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. And that's a that's a great one as well. This one is sung, uh, the third stanza of this one is sung at the commendation of the dying, uh, which is when I go and visit people who are on their deathbed or potentially on their deathbed. And um, I'll uh, read the third stanza here, which is the, the one sung at that time. Lord, let at last thine angels come to Abram's bosom, bear me home that I may die unfearing. And in its narrow chamber, keep my body safe till peaceful sleep, in peaceful sleep, until thy reappearing. And then from death awaken me, that these mine eyes with joy may see, O Son of God, thy glorious face, my Savior and my fount of grace. Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer attend, my prayer attend, and I will praise thee without end. Um, so to talk about our own death that is coming, and that we want to die unfearing, um, or hear and speak, O Lord, your servant listens, that the Lord's words will carry us through that moment of death um, is, is pretty common in, in Lutheran hymnody. And this goes back to an ancient uh, tradition that early Christians talked about, everyone kind of talked about. Um, in Latin, is called Ars Morendi, for short, or the art of dying, and oftentimes called the art of dying well. And 
when theologians have talked about this, they say, in some ways, this is our entire Christian life, is preparing to die. Because the life uh, that is to come is so much greater than this life, and this life pales in comparison to what that life will be. And um, this is, I mean, it's kind of like a weird... um, sermon illustration or whatever, but I this stuck with me. I saw it as, when I was like in high school. Um, I saw this like preacher give this sermon, and he had this big long rope. Um, it's like some evangelical preacher. He had this like huge rope that like went out the sanctuary doors or whatever, and he had like the like an inch on the end tied off, and he said, "Look, this is your life on earth. That's your life in heaven." Why are you so concerned with like making this part of your life really good and then do and just so you can live this part of your life in an extra comfortable way and and he was talking about how people different people spend all their time focused on this one little part when when we got this whole life in front of us um, a life that's much better and that means so much more than whatever happens here uh, in this life now and uh, I don't use uh props sermon props but um i did think that was pretty good um it it did stick with me and but it gets to this idea that we need to prepare to die and the reason that lutherans and and the the ancient church focused on that moment of death especially that death's cold and dreary night is because that's um quite possibly the the moment of someone's greatest temptation in in life to uh, lose the faith. Um, going through death is a very, very hard thing. And I think this is lost on us to some degree because of modern medicine. Um, basically, I, I've never been at a deathbed now um, in my ministry. I've been at a, a, about three or four deathbeds now. I, I have not um, ever been at a deathbed where someone isn't like on morphine, and I imagine, and I, I can, you can still see when they're on morphine how painful it is, um, not just for their body but also for their soul, and and how hard it is. You can still see it to a degree, but I imagine if that wasn't there, and because oftentimes then um, people are just not lucid, uh, they're not, you know, they're not really there, they're asleep or whatever. Um, passed out for for a lot of the time. Um, you can still see how hard it is, but I imagine if that wasn't there, you you could really see the the pain and suffering of death. And and uh, it's not anything anyone looks forward to. And uh, people will tell me that they're not afraid of death, which I. I get in a sense, if, if you are sure in your faith, which is a good thing and that's a gift to, to know that you are a Christian um, and that you're going to go to heaven when you die and that you're ready for that day to come um, whenever it, it may come. I think that's good. Uh, but I also think we need to be careful that um, and, and, and to, to take part in this preparing to die well, um, to take part in this art of dying well, because... Uh, no one 
is immune to the temptations of the devil, right? No one is immune to, to the temptations of of uh, of the hardness of death. And there are a lot of questions that come up when you start to talk about death with people like, well, what's it going to feel like? And am I, am I going to be truly ready? And um, you start to question your, your forgiveness in Christ. And uh, that, there's a lot of things that come up and different people experience it different ways. But that's why the early Lutherans um, and why the early church talked about this is that one of the things we need to do in life and one of the reasons that we come to church and that we um, do devotions and, and that we continue to study God's word and continue to receive the Lord's Supper, all of it is preparing for that moment, to be ready for that moment so that we can, um, and, and in some sense, like that's my job, like that's my entire job is to get you, this sounds kind of like depressing, but I, I do think about everyone's death quite a bit um, because my job is to get you from this earth to, to heavenly paradise. Like that's, that's my job. Um, and like everything that I do basically serves that purpose. So um, anyway, that's the art of dying well, Ars Morendi. Um, if you want to read a book on Ars Morendi, um, which is kind of a book of like short little um, comforting essays on like the different things that people deal with when they're approaching death. There's an uh, old Lutheran theologian, uh, Johann Gerhard, and you can look this up on, Ambook, he, on Amazon. He's got a book called The Handbook of Consolations. And uh, I was looking for it so I could pass it around in my office, but I didn't see it on the sh- shelf um, in time. I, I just thought of this like right before Bible study. So, But um, you can look that up on Amazon, Gerhard, The Handbook of Consolations. It's a good little book, and um, reading through it uh, I think does really help. Uh, he just reminds you of all the promises in the Bible and all the promises in God's word surrounding the death of a Christian, and uh, it, it does help prepare for death. Um, but there's other, I mean, obviously there's other things we do too, right? So like I said, um, being in church, uh, having having your pastor visit, you have taking the Lord's Supper regularly, these kinds of things, this is for the preparation of, of the dying in some sense. So um, but anyway, speak, O Lord, your servant listens, uh, is about God's word, right? And so the thing that is our light in, in the moment of death is God's word. Lord, let your... Words will be my light through death's cold and dreary night. All right. That also connects. Uh, any questions on that? Yeah, Gary. I, th- I thought Jesus took the sting out of death. What, what is that? He did take the sting out of death in that he took uh, the condemnation out of death. So uh, from, yeah, in, in 1 Corinthians 15 there, um, when it says, uh, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Um, what he's saying there is that death does not have the final victory. The final victory belongs to Christ because he defeated death, and our victory will be in Christ. However, um, as with anything, right, we know that – so Christ also defeated sin, right? Christ forgave sin on the cross – and yet we still sin here on earth. So we're in this 
um, period of being on earth, still struggling against sin, still struggling against our flesh, still struggling against death. And even though the victory has been won, we still are fighting this war and, and fighting these battles. Jesus already won the war, but we haven't fully received or recognized that yet, right? Um, so that's, that's the whole Lutheran idea of simultaneously saint and sinner. Who we truly are in Christ is saints, but in this life we still are corrupt by sin. We have a new heart, and Christ has won for us the victory, but that old man still tempts us. And so when it comes to that moment of death and dying, um, the, the old man, Satan, is still there trying to tempt us, even though he's already been defeated. So that's, it's, a, it's kind of a paradox, if that makes sense. But um, the sting is gone. Uh, death has been defeated by Christ. And that's one of the promises that like Gerhard would point to, that, um, look, that you have nothing to fear. And that's, I mean, that is fundamentally true. You do not have anything to fear about death. The problem is everyone still fears death, right? Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I really do have a hard time believing, maybe I'm just pessimistic on this, but when someone says, oh, I'm not afraid to die, like, maybe that's true for a very small group of people, but um, I think when it comes down to that moment, if, if you're really honest with yourself, I'm afraid to die. I mean, I don't want to, I mean, you don't want to die. I, I think most people who say that aren't really talking about the physical fact of death. I think they're talking more about they know where they're going after. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, they know where they're that's going. What I would think they mean by yeah, and that I mean that's definitely true. Like, and I so on one hand you can say that, and it be a hundred percent true. Right. Like, I can say yeah, I'm not afraid to die because I do know where I'm going, and that's in a, in a sense that's true. Like the the saint in me the new man in me totally believes that 100 percent. but there's also that old man in me that says if i did die like what would rebecca and the kids do what you know you start going down these doubts what would it feel like am i ready to you know am i spiritually ready to to get terminal cancer at this very moment like um so that anyway it's it's interesting to think about but um the, the main point is that this is something I think we are called to do as Christians, is to prepare for death. In some way, and in some ways, that is our entire Christian life, is, is preparing for, for death. And uh, not thinking that, um, you know, Paul gives the advice, uh, if you think that you are strong, be careful lest you fall. So that's, that's kind of what I'd say, you know, about that is like... Um, no matter how prepared you think you are, you can always pray more. <laughs> you can you can always uh, receive the Lord's Supper more, you know. So anyhow, all right. Um, that can any other questions on that? You could also one other point um, I'll say is that I wrote a newsletter article on this like right when I uh, one of the first newsletter articles I wrote um, when I got here. And I remember writing that because we were still kind of in the midst of COVID. 
And just looking at our culture, not necessarily the church alone, but looking at the culture, you could tell everyone's afraid to die, <laughs> right? Um, people were acting insane because they were afraid to die. So <laughs> um, anyhow, um, it's like, yeah, so so a lot of people say, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't care about death, you know, death doesn't have anything on me. And then there's like, you know, a minor plague that goes around um, and uh, everyone freaks out. So, <laughs> you know, there's a lot to be, especially younger, the younger men, there's a lot to be concerned about, like the well-being of your family and right. all these things that's, you know, maybe not really prepared for, but, but who is, you know, until you start really becoming older. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, of course, there's also, you know, the pain of death, you know, whatever, you know, a car crash that kills you is probably going to hurt pretty severely, you know. You know what I mean? Yeah. <clears throat> and it, well, even people who die of natural causes, um, from what I've seen and my understanding is that even that death is extremely painful. Um and I think it's like a because it's it's not just a physical reality. It's a it's your soul being taken out of your body, and that is something that only people who have gone through know what that feels like. So, um, which we don't get to talk to those people. So, <laughs> um, but from what we can witness, it seems very very painful. Um, not just on a physical level, but on a whole human level. So uh, I lived through nine deaths in my family. Yeah. My brother you know, brothers and sisters. But uh, some of them were painful when they died. Some of them weren't you know, most yeah. of them died in their sleep at night. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting phenomenon. Um I wonder what that's like too that someone dies in their sleep. I mean don't wake up, you know. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's still pain involved there, though, like that we just don't see, you know? It might be, and I can't yeah. say. So. Um, we do, and one one thing that's interesting on this, too, so in the litany today, we'll, we're, for the prayers of the church, we're going to pray the litany. And in the litany, we pray against sudden and evil death. Um, the reason we pray against sudden and evil death is because... We don't want to die suddenly. Right. We want to be able to prepare. We want right. to to be able to be with our family and to be visited by the pastor and 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 to hear the message of the gospel um, when we can hear it. And we also don't want to die suddenly. Um, yeah, well, I'll just leave it at that. So so anyway, that's an in- interesting point. Is that um, we do pray against sudden death in the in the prayers of the church. So, yeah, Gary. Yeah. Well, the consequence, the ultimate consequence of sin is that we all die. <laughs> right. So um, that is the the reminder. the The gospel is that. 
Jesus has made that death a portal to eternal life. And that's the dying well part, uh, that death is actually, um, for the Christian, a good thing because it is a portal to eternal life. And so, uh, yep. Yeah. All right. Such an uplifting conversation. I was going to say it really is, I mean, in the sense that, uh, you know, we get to inherit heaven. Okay, but this, uh, so let's move on to the catechism because it connects pretty well. Uh, the fifth commandment, you shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. The thing I'd say about this is that Christianity is the only religion that cares uh, about the body yeah. in this way. Um Every other religion, they take basically one of two approaches. One approach is to say that the body is not like in whatever kind of afterlife, um, the body's not going to be there. So materialists would say that uh, all there is is the body and that you live in the body and then you die and then your body disintegrates into the ground and that's all it is. And so that basically ends up in some sort of life of hedonism where we should just do whatever we want to do with our bodies while we can. Um, Or sometimes it ends up in an idolatry of the body where we're going to try and live as long as we possibly can, and we're going to try and optimize our bodies the best we can. And um, you get this uh, transhumanism nowadays where people are thinking about trying to upload their uh, brains into a different body so so that they can live forever. Um, well, yeah, that uh, they they cannot, but um, that's you know what people try and do. So so those are kind of the two ways it goes. Um, and then you can think about the different world religions. Um, none of them really believe in like the resurrection of the body in the way that that Christians do. Um, we're the only ones that confess God created our bodies. Um, Jesus redeemed our bodies, and the Holy Spirit sanctifies our bodies. And um, we want to keep our bodies um, safe until the day when they're resurrected and uh, put back with our souls in the new heaven, the new earth. And that Christianity is really the only religion that that takes seriously the body in that way, Um, that we care about the physical realities. And so the command not to murder, um, that we would not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need, that, that connects to what we were saying about death, right? Is that death is this bodily and soul, body and soul reality. And um, we care about people dying well because we care in part about their, about their body and that their body would be raised again from the dead. And... Um, that's just something you don't find anywhere else uh, in really in the world um, other than in Christianity. So I, I think that's, uh, that's worth noting that we care about the body. God cares about our bodies. And um, we can't – our bo- death is sad precisely because our souls are separated from our bodies. And then – but – the, again, the gospel is that Jesus is going to come and resurrect our, our bodies. He's going to raise the dead to new life. Um, humans are like what makes up a human 
and that this is God's good creation, the crown of his creation. With When he makes man, he is very pleased, is a body and a soul, right? The, the dust of the earth and the mist from the ground and the breath of life. So that's what makes a human, and God wants humans. He created humans. He loves humans, and uh, man is the crown of his creation. And so we care about that creation, and we look forward to the day when that creation will be made perfect. Right? So that's 1 Corinthians 15, is that our bodies are going to be perfect in the day of resurrection. Right? No more cancer, no more, no more death, no more illness. Um, our bodies... Paul says they will be like that of the angels, not not meaning that they will be angels, but they will be um, perfect in their in their uh, recreation. All right. Any questions on that? All right. Uh, let's move on then to. Sorry, we talked about the Amish for too long. Um, let's move on to the the Bible portion of this. So I think we basically finished up Athelia um, in 2 Kings 11 um, that she's uh, put to death for treason after the coup that um, Jehoiada organizes. And uh, yeah, she she comes in shouting treason, but she's actually the treasonous one, which is a nice um, bit of irony for you. So let's flip over to 2 Chronicles 24. And remember, the king that they made king whenever Athelia uh, was put to death was Joash, and he was seven years old at the time. right? So they, were, uh, they, they coronated the seven-year-old. Um, uh, 2 Chronicles 24. Yeah, 2 Chronicles 24, which... Um, outlines the life of Joash, basically. So, um, yeah, just a little bit older than Matthias uh, was the king at the time. Um, Matthias, you ready to be king? Yeah, Gabriel's seven. He could be king. Um, all right, well, anyway, he still got a very nice long reign, Um and you might ask yourself, okay, well, obviously a seven-year-old's not really like making all the decisions and leading as king. And this goes back to our importance of um, what we talked about with Athelia is that the people you surround yourself with, your, geez, the uh, company you keep, The company you keep is very important into the life, the life that you will live, and not just the life that you will live, but uh, in this case, the goodness of the kings. Second Chronicles 24. And so Joash obviously is too young at a certain point. To be leading this life, but the good thing is, the reason he starts out as a good king is because he is surrounded by good company, and uh, unsurprisingly, that is obviously Jehoiada and Jehoshaphat um, who who raise him. 
And as he's surrounded by that good company and as he is uh, counseled wisely by Jehoiada, um, good things happen. So the first thing that happens, uh, we'll start reading here a little bit. I want to mention this this one thing for him. So starting at verse 2, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. So during the life of Jehoiada the priest, who's counseling him, he does what is right. And so obviously at a certain point he's old enough, and Jehoiada took two wives for him, and he had sons and daughters. Okay, that's verse 3. Now, I want to address this um, idea of two wives, okay, because, right, what's the biblical image of marriage? It's one one man and one woman, yeah, one wife, Um, and that corresponds to the sixth commandment, right? You shall not commit adultery, and also to the uh, tenth commandment, uh, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, right? Um, And then also what Jesus says in the Gospels, he says, if you want to know what marriage is, go back to the beginning, right? Moses allowed divorce, but if you want to know what marriage is, go back to Genesis. And um, so I think the biblical image is very clearly monogamy, Obviously, in the Old Testament, you get lots of polygamy, and you can see that with, uh, you know, Saul and David and Solomon um, in the the early kings. That's when it seems to become very popular. I I mean, obviously, also in um, with with Jacob, uh, you know, with basically four wives. Um, but if you notice. Notice kind of the trajectory, right? So in the beginning, it's one man, one woman. Then with Jacob, it's four. And then when you get down to – when you get to Solomon, it's like, what, hundreds, hundreds supposedly, yeah. Of, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean that maybe that's uh, hyperbole. But um, then you get down to – now we get down to uh, very faith, very proven faithful Jehoiada, Um who provides wives for for Joash, and he gives him two. What I think this is, and this is just my uh, pondering, is so so take it for what it's worth. I think he is limiting um, the the practice of as he's making these other reforms in Judah. He's limiting the practice of of polygamy, right? He's bringing it back under control. Um, and you could make the argument, well, why wouldn't he just give him one wife? Well, I, th- I think it was so instituted into the culture at that point that that would have been maybe just too much, too weird, um, too hard for Joash. Joash wouldn't have had the respect he needed as king. I'm not exactly sure. But what I what you can see is that there is a dramatic uh, limitation. But also on that trajectory, what you can see is, one, with, with Saul – and with Solomon, um, and with David, and if, if, you, if you consider Bathsheba, with all three of the United Kingdom kings, what is their downfall of their kingdom? Yeah, their wives, right? It's, it's polygamy, okay? So it doesn't – polygamy never ends well in the Old Testament. Um, and so I, I think – and what, what happens with polygamy – is it is a very and the other thing to consider is what's basic what's the basic problem of the Old Testament is that idolatry, idolatry paganism, 
right? The basic problem is that the people of Israel want to do what the pagans are doing. They that that's if you had to summarize the Old Testament, the pro, the sin of the Old Testament, it's that the Israelites want to do what the pagans are doing. I think what polygamy is is a very early acceptance of paganism in the life of Israel, and it proves very hard to get rid of. But in the New Testament, it is monogamy uh, is able to take root again, and it becomes the very clear ideal of the teaching of Jesus, right? So. Um, like we said, when he talks about divorce, he talks about monogamy. When Paul talks about um, the standard for if someone is a pastor, uh, he talks about monogamy, the husband of one wife, right? And obviously the rest of the church should imitate that. And um, it's also not surprising to me that today in our culture, we are moving back toward polygamy, right? So um, it's often called in like news or in if you um, want to see like modern iterations of it, polyamory, uh, which is different than polygamy in a technical sense in that polyamory is basically as many people of whatever sex. Polygamy traditionally is one man with multiple women. But the idea is the same, is that it's a redefinition of marriage on the basis of people's sexual lusting um, they didn't do that on television now. Yeah. Yeah, they have do they have polyamory on television? Like people with like in multiple like yeah. it was even getting popular um probably like ten, fifteen years ago. Yeah. When I was in high school there was um I went to a big public high school. There was a uh a thruplet, I guess you could say, of uh two Two bisexual girls and and a boy who was heterosexual. Um, that was like 10, 15 years ago. So, um, yeah, it's it's becoming more and more. Uh, you can basically what you can ask yourself is what does the plus stand for in LGBTQ plus? Um, basically anything you can imagine, um, up to and including pedophilia, which now people are trying to rename as. Uh, what is it called? Yeah. Um, what is that? Minor yeah, minor attracted persons, right? Oh. Oh um, so that's that's the world that we're kind of in now. But um, but what's the okay? What's my point in that? My point is that we are moving back to paganism, right? Um, as Christianity becomes more and more of a minority and become more and more of a post-Christian society. It's not surprising that that is also increasing at the same time that like witchcraft is increasing, right? Like, uh, man, who I, I was talking to, um, Anna, uh, Anna Luby, she said like all of her friends from high school are witches now. Uh, yeah. Really? So, and she she's my age. So, uh, that, yeah, it, it's 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 a crazy world. But um, we're moving back to paganism. That's, it's not. Uh, None of this stuff is surprising because it, it all happened in the Bible, right? We saw, I mean, there were there were witches in the Bible, and there was, you know, uh, some form of poly marriage in the Bible, and uh, now it's all happening again because we're just moving back towards paganism. So, um, anyway, yeah, I know. Um, that's okay. 
there's there's still some of us left that are saints. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. Um, all right, so anyway, that I just wanted to point that out that it's it is kind of interesting that Jehoiada provides two wives for Joash. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, right. He does provide. He does preserve a faithful remnant. That is true. So, um, but the church is here, and and the church can grow too. I mean, we don't have to accept defeat. We don't have to accept being overrun by paganism. So I would I would caution a, a, against a like a depressionism that would say like oh it's all it's all lost like can't do anything just go hide in my cave. Uh, Elijah tried that and the Lord said yeah get out of the cave. You got to go preach. So um, anyhow all right uh, all right verse four where what time are we at? we got time all right. Now it happened after this that Joash shed his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. And he gathered the priests and the Levites and said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather all from all Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that you do it quickly. Okay, So he's going to restore God's temple. He's going to restore the temple of Solomon. And uh, this is a good act. right? This is um, So we've talked before in, in the revivals and the reformations of Judah that they tear down the altars of the false gods. Well, one of the things that's happened in the disrepair of Judah is that the temple has fallen into disrepair. Um, they they had too much deferred maintenance, right? Uh, to put it in terms of modern churches. And that's where our rooms are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, we were driving up Davidson today, and this car like comes into our lane. And we we're like, what are they doing? And then we just then they got back over. It's like, oh, there's a giant hole in the road. Okay, yeah, that's you know, yeah. what it is. <laughs> um, Drive down, uh, what is it? Craft Road. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So the, the temple, Solomon's temple, is kind of like Craft Road. Um, it's fallen into disrepair. Yeah. And he's going to restore it. Well, what's one of what's the things that we've talked about that make a good king, right? I was letting these things dry out. Um, yeah. Uh, right word, which is the word of the prophets, the, the council. Um, right prayer and right worship. And so what he is seeking is to have the correct worship, right? The right worship. He's seeking um, under the guidance of Jehida to reform the worship of the people of Israel. And that is a that is a beautiful thing, right? Beautiful thing. Um, and this is part of revival and, and reformation. Um, I've just been, because of this whole As- Asbury revival thing, I've been thinking a lot and talked about it on Wednesday night. Talk, been thinking a lot about like revival and reformation. And um, that part of revival and reformation is worship, um, is, is coming to the house of the Lord and, and taking care of the house of the Lord. And... Um, and yeah, the temple, corporate worship. So um, the other thing to notice here is that uh, he – so let me keep reading a little bit. Um, skip down to verse 8. Um, At the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord, and they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring 
to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the wilderness. Then all the leaders and the pe- all the people rejoiced, brought their contributions, and put them in the chest until all had been given. So at that time, so it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's official by the hand of the Levites, and they saw that there was much money that the king's scribe and the high priest officer came and emptied the chest and took it and returned it to its place. Thus they did day by day, and they gathered money in abundance. Okay, so the way that they go about to repair the house of the Lord, to repair the temple, is by a capital campaign, (laughs) if you will. Um, Actually, but not really just a capital campaign, really just by tithing. So um, notice there the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel through the wilderness. So... It's not that people are giving – it's not that some millionaire is coming and giving um, you know, one large donation to cover the cost. It's that all the people of Judah and Israel are giving their 10% tithe, and that collects more than enough money needed to cover the repairs of the temple. And so this is a, this is a good stewardship lesson um, is that – notice that – no one's like upset about this. No one is saying, uh, is this too much? Is this too little? Um, they simply put out the chest. Yeah, they're not grumbling. They, they put out the chest. They say, it's, you notice it is free will, right? So there might have been some people who didn't give, but uh, it, is, it is free will. And um, the people, the leaders and all the people rejoiced. And they brought their contributions. And I think with stewardship, this is always kind of the um, one of the things that needs to be remembered is that God loves a cheerful giver, and that our our gifts, our our gifts of stewardship, our gifts of tithing, um, they should be done joyfully. We should not think like in terms of, oh, um, is this is yeah, is this a like. Oftentimes people say, well, like you can't say 10% because that's too legalistic. Well, they said 10% here because that was the Old Testament law. Um, but no one thought of it even in the even in the Old Testament as legalistic, right? Um, they didn't think of it as a law. They, they did it joyfully. Now, it is true that 10% is no longer a law for New Testament Christians. And so... If you want, I mean, I did this all last year. I can talk about the value of 10%, but why 10% is not exactly the the law and why we don't need to be tied to the idea of 10%. But um, it's interesting just to note that even in the Old Testament, they didn't think of something that was the law as legalistic. Um, they just rejoiced in it and did it anyway. So um, that that's that's just interesting to note that um, really, no matter what number you decide to give um, out of sanctified reasoning and your Christian conscience, um, it should just be done, done joyfully. So, okay. Um, let's move on then. Yeah, let's look at verses 15 and – oh, never mind. Let's not do that. It's time. All right. Um, any final questions or comments on that? On Joash? Could see the problems with the temple, though. Yep. Yeah, and um, they 
whenever it was shown to them that this was a valuable thing, the worship of the Lord, um, that's that's what made them joyful, right? So that's um, we should be focused on the end goal like that when we give is that what we're giving to is the ministry, the word and sacrament ministry of the church. And um, what better thing to give to, right? Um, if we go back to our conversation about dying well, right, you're in you're investing in people's souls, right? right? And Jesus Jesus reminded us on Wednesday, uh, store up treasures not for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Um, so yeah, what better thing to invest in, right? So, all right. Uh, any final questions, comments? All right, let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you praise you for all that you have done for us and we pray that you would bless us this lenten season that you would help us uh, prepare for earthly death as we always should be doing we pray also that you would help us to find ways to help our neighbor in her in his or her body and we pray that you would uh, continue to put in front of our eyes Christ, our our King, who is the perfect King, and we pray that you would uh, bless this, the your house, the house of the Lord here, and we pray that you would increase our faith in you. We pray that the gifts may be brought in out of joyful giving, and that your word may be proclaimed in this place with free course and with joy and with abundant fruit. We pray all of this to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.